Hi, everyone. Welcome to Trader Chats, unique perspectives from seasoned traders. I'm your host, Imran Laka, founder of Options Insight and 20-year professional options trader. As you might know, I became a trading mentor about three years ago, but I thought these conversations would be a great way for my students to gain valuable perspectives from some of the professional traders that I know and respect. I hope you enjoy the episode. All right, welcome everyone. Um, so today is our inaugural episode of um, my new podcast, which is called Trader Chats by Options Insight. And today um, I'm you know, happy to introduce my friend Ben, um, who is a hedge fund manager. Um, and he's going to talk to us. The, the name of today's episode is Bursting the AMC Bubble. So uh, Ben, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? And then we can get onto this this very topical discussion. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, Imran, thanks for the intro, and so happy to be here. Very cool. Uh, excited for the podcast. This will be fun. Yeah. So just a little bit about me. I started SDOR Capital back in December 2019, so just a few months before COVID. Couldn't have picked better timing, right? Goodness gracious! Thank goodness we survived it. But mm -hmm. uh, my background was largely in CPG, particularly in beverage alcohol, and was uh, I started trading the market as a retail trader, as, as so many people did back in 2007, 2008. So uh, I came, uh, it's kind of funny, Imran, because you know, I know you're associated with Real Vision and others that are kind of take a contrarian view of the market, which I appreciate, because when I started trading the market, I, was, I came from kind of the Peter Schiff School of Economics. So I was always a, a metals and miners guy and mm -hmm. much of a contrarian, uh, like, uh, like so many. Uh, which I think uh, that's why I can't get you into Bitcoin. It's that, yeah, that's right. Is that Peter Schiff connection, man. <laughs> that's what it is, man. Yeah, I need to be convinced, but I'm open-minded. I think one of the things the market's done over the years, it's humbled me and it's it's forced me to be open-minded about all risk assets mm. and asset classes. So, but anyway, so we started the fund back in in 19. It's been a, it's been a blast, and um, and yeah, so you know, hadn't ever considered getting involved in any of the meme names. In fact. Mm. Um, it wasn't until June 2nd. In fact, I remember the day, uh, it was June 2nd, we put on the trade to get short. That was the day, intraday was up about 105%. That's the day it touched over 70. Didn't mm. quite catch that top, but but that's when we first put on a, a, our first tranche and got relatively sized. And we've, you know, cascaded the trade as we've gone. There's There's been some covering and some adding, but we're as sized now well, as before we Before we drill into that, let's first, for the audience's benefit, right? Let's talk about... Why, why short stocks in the first place, right? Because that gets a lot of bad press, right? Shorting stocks means you're an evil person. You want the company to go bust, you know? So why, why for as you as a long short portfolio manager, what is your interest in shorting stocks? Why, why are you shorting them in the first place? Basically? Well, it's a risk mitigation tool, as you can imagine. So it's essentially a long vol trade. It's just a proxy for long vol. I mean, I could, of course, roll front or second or third month VIX contracts and get the same effect with regard to convexity. You, at the you, front you end. do realize you're going over so many people's heads in like the first few <laughs> sentences. <laughs> <laughs> very simple. This is brilliant. It's brilliant. Okay, yeah. so for, okay, for those of you who don't know me yet, I'm obviously an options trader. I trade volatility. I have done for 20 years. And Ben Ben's going on about VIX and long ball and all this stuff. So let me just quickly step in there. So the idea being that 
A portfolio manager needs to have some hedges in the book, right? The markets, yes, they tend to trend higher over long periods of time, but we do experience bouts of turbulence. And sometimes people put hedges in their books, which are long volatility positions, whether they're put options, whether they're VIX contracts, things like that, that often protect those portfolios from drawdowns when the market has a bad time, right? So Ben's basically, over back to you, Ben, Ben's basically saying as a proxy, instead of putting long volatility positions directly in the portfolio, adding shorts to the portfolio can sometimes act a little bit long vol. Long vol. Back over yeah. to you. Yeah. That, no, that's exactly right. And, and I think if someone were to just look at my trades in a vacuum and say, I'm going to try to mimic Ben's trades, it might not make sense to them because I don't put on every trade to your point with the intention of that trade capturing a lot of alpha, right? Mm-hmm. We put on those trades to your point re- uh, relative to the broader market. And so why short uh, individual names? Uh, well, to boil it down very simply, number one, it, it's, it's helpful to the market relative to liquidity. Number two, it's helpful for price discovery. Uh, but I think also, uh, again, to your point, I mean, there are certain names, particularly in this environment, and I've kind of said this to you offline when we've chatted, just mm-hmm. based on this macro environment, I find it a bit easier to pick losers than winners in this kind of adulterated environment relative to protracted accommodative monetary policy. Mm-hmm. So when you can find, particularly relative to tail risks, right? We talk a lot about tail risks. So if you think about Delta variant, if you think about policy error, whether it's FOMC or or uh, ECB or, or any central bank um, or, or anything. It, it could be just a broader market rollover. You're looking for those specific tail risk hedges and you can capture that if you think about things with concentrated strategic shorts. And so you can find those vulnerable names. And in, my, in this case, we'll, we'll talk about AMC, but there are others that, that fit that same kind of parameter. Um, but that's why shorting is important. I think it's important as a risk mitigation tool. But to your point, there's nothing evil about it. There's nothing nefarious. I'm not rooting for any company to go under at all whatsoever. I'm just trying to protect um, and, and manage my risk. So what? So what? So the next obvious question to me would be: So then, what makes AMC such a good shorting candidate in your in your mind? Well, I think it's a valuation uh, component. Now, and if you've watched, of course, this is a name, as, as we all know, I, just, I think trading like 27 billion market cap right now. And this is a company that generates essentially about 800 to 850 to $900 million with an M uh, quarterly, right? And it costs them to, to, to generate that revenue. It costs them about $1.85 billion. So they're losing about a billion dollars, okay, a quarter. So let's just wow. start right there. Wow. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but come on, man. Losing money never stopped the stock going up, did it? I mean, no, it, 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 you're right. You're right. Because look, let's look at Amazon, for example. Amazon is a company that is, uh, you know, not that they're losing money, but if you look at it from a, a, you know, a price to sales, price to revenue standpoint, they're about three, three and a half times sales. Uh, AMC is trading at 27 times sales right now. Uh, so, so it's really staggering. And if you think wow. about AMC's business, obviously, there's a lot of vulnerability there to disruption relative to streaming. Again, the Delta variant component. And then, as I mentioned earlier, the broader market sell-off. If you've watched AMC behave when the market sold off, if you remember two, a little over two weeks ago, when the first jitters hit relative to taper, and we can talk about that too if you want, but AMC got disproportionately hit because the broader market rolled over. So Mm -hmm. that's where AMC has some vulnerability, although it is idiosyncratic. We've seen it go up when the market's down. 
but, yeah, but I, well, I, well, this is this is true, right? And and I, this is again, we spoke a bit about this offline, and and I feel like AMC is part of what I'm calling the meme factor style, right? So for those who invest in equities, you understand equities. There's something in equities that is called style factor investing, right? And you basically have names that fall within certain pockets of the style factors. And they might be value names because they're on cheap multiples. They might be growth names because they're high growth stocks. They might be quality names because they have bulletproof balance sheets and very low leverage, things like that. It seems that a new, a new style factor has risen over the last 12 to 18 months, which I'm calling the meme style factor, right? And that's pretty much what, what stocks capture the imagination of the retail army, right? And we had obviously GameStop was the leader. That was the, the big daddy back in January or whenever it was. And then it seems AMC has, be, has become the number two in that. And it, it seems to me the cycle that I see in these kind of short squeezes and these meme rallies that we keep getting is different stocks are in fashion each time round. So you had GameStop was the in fashion name. Then you had the likes of um, AMC and BlackBerry, I believe, were the names that were going crazy. Now the new names on the list are things like Wish and Workhorse and BBIG God knows what else is going to be on there. But it seems to me that if a stock's trading below $10, it can be an in vogue, fashionable name that has got a potential squeeze in it because all the Reddit crowd decide to buy it at the same time. They buy call options, they buy stock, they kind of make it a self-fulfilling prophecy and they, and they try and squeeze the dealers. Whereas AMC is old news, right? So I quite like the fact that if AMC, I like the idea that if AMC is part of that that meme factor and he's getting dragged up when those squeezes are happening in the smaller names that are now the fashionable names. If AMC's rallying just on the back of that for no apparent reason. It's a great time to sell into that strength, basically. Yeah, it makes it vulnerable for sure. And, and to your yeah. point, you bring up a really, really interesting nuance that's worth pointing out when you talked about some of these, you know, below $10 stocks and some of the mania behind them and why they're being selected. And it's largely, you know, to your point, chasing these, you know, uh, names that have higher open interests on the short side. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing about uh, the way these are happening in some cases is that it is a gamma squeeze as opposed to a short squeeze, right? To your point, the out of the money call options buying on the upside is forcing the dealers to bid these things higher. And that's the mm -hmm. mechanics of it. And so when you understand that, it really helps you manage your position because, you know, I, I think I shared this with you. What was it last week when AMC was up almost 20%? Mm -hmm. You know, I got plenty of text messages and phone calls, people asking me if I was going to cover. And I chuckled. I said, of course, I'm not going to cover. I'm adding to the short. Mm -hmm. I mean, because it, it just, number one, there's a conviction to this trade that we talked about relative to valuation. Um, but there is somewhat of a predictability to the cadence of the way these names are behaving. Uh, now, to your point, there's all, there's all kinds of, there's a whole mosaic of names that are entering this fray. But now that I've had AMC on my screen since early June, I've got a pretty good sense of the way it moves, not necessarily why it moves. To your point, a lot of times it's idiosyncratic, but um, there's a comfort level with absorbing that risk. And again, I won't call it non-correlated or negative correlated to the rest of the book, but it is very helpful to have that in my back pocket. And I, I won't call it a hedge because it's a speculative trade for sure. Yeah. But it's um, it's a trade that I, uh, I well the beauty the beauty of that trade is that whilst it's a high volatility high beta kind of name 
if the broader market sells off, it's probably not going to escape that sell-off and it'll probably be quite violent on the downside. You could have a situation where the rest of your book does well, but AMC, because it's a loss-making company and on stupid valuations, actually goes down at the same time and you get a double whammy that your risk mitigation trade works whilst your portfolio works. So well, that's exactly what happened yesterday. Uh, yesterday, right. AMC was down about 8% while the broader market was catching a bid. And so yesterday was a wonderful day in that sense because you caught the upside in both of those trades. So that does materialize every now and again. And but listen, then the, the opposite can materialize too, right? Where you get a bad day on the overall market and for some reason there's a gamma squeeze or a meme stock squeeze happening. AMC's up 5% for no apparent reason, right? I'm pretty sure that happened last week as well. <laughs> yeah, it's happened. It's happened on both sides. And so, yeah. so that's, you know, look, I'd love to resolve the trade because it does capture quite a large chunk of capital right now for me. Yeah. But uh, but look, I'm looking forward to resolve that. Like I said, there's been covering that's gone on down uh, through its descent from the from the highs of 70 plus. Mm -hmm. um, however, uh, again, it's it's a trade I've got a, a lot of comfort with in terms of holding. And by the way, I should know, and this is for the the edification of the individuals listening that maybe they maybe they don't borrow short. Uh, you do have a borrow rate. There's, you can't borrow and sell short for free. There's a rate. And that does generally reflect the demand for short um, positioning. The rate on AMC, I will tell you, is very reasonable. I mean, the rates that I've generally been uh, borrowing are somewhere between 75 basis points and maybe 125 basis points. So it's that's really- a, That's an annualized rate, right? That's, that's correct. Rate. Yeah, annualized rate. So it's very- That's cheap reasonable. as chips. That's cheap as chips, right? I mean- it, it, It's cheaper than most people's mortgage rate. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. I mean, for the type of moves you're trying to capture on the downside- an extra 150 basis points isn't going to kill you, I guess, right? Not at all. I mean, yeah. for the, yeah, for, for the, for the, potential. and you're not even, and you're probably not even holding that position for a whole year anyway, right? No, no. I mean, I would, I, I, my hope is that I can resolve this by the time we get into the end of the month, but uh, I've been saying that now for 45 days. So uh, I, yeah, I, I, certainly I by year right end, now. you would think by year end, there's a good chance. I mean, I, I mean, I was going to get onto, you know, how do you think about, you're talking about capital usage and talking about borrow rates. I mean, kind of leads me on to my question. How do you think about sizing that position? Do you worry about GME type squeezes? Mm -hmm. uh, and do you look at any metrics to kind of give you a read on if that's more likely or less likely? Does that make you maybe size the position down a bit when you start to see those telltale signs? Like, how do you think? Yeah, about I mean, th this is where seriously, people like yourself, I give a, a, a nod to because you you know, as an options guy, you're you're looking at second and third derivatives. You, you know, you're looking at Vanna. You're, you're looking at implied volatility. Th those are really the metrics that I watch most closely on a position like AMC. When you saw the name roll over, it was largely a function of the IV collapsing on the name. And so I'm really watching IV closely. Um, but, you know, I'm just a dumb... Uh, portfolio manager i look to guys like you that understand the option space much better than i do but that's really what i look at in terms of gauging size and uh just risk managing the position okay and and then like you say the borrow rate if you see that borrow rate blow out from uh one and a half to ten percent does that does that trigger you to take the position down or, or think about a hedge or do something with it it does it well, well it would what it would ultimately i would think about hedging it in the short term in a tactical way uh, in terms of drawing it down, I guess it depends on what the name is doing on that particular, because like you said, it's an annualized percentage. So when you think about it on a, you know, on a dollar basis, 
Yeah. If, if, the, if the borrow rate goes from one two five to let's say five and a half, yeah, uh, it's not a meaningful move really. If I'm going to keep the position on for another two weeks, so it's but it but it does. I mean, obviously, it, it raises uh, certain concerns, and, and you know, you you have to dive a little bit deeper and kind of gut check it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and then. So, I mean, have you got a target on the downside for this particular name, AMC? I do. I do. Let's, let's be clear, before you say that, anything you hear in this podcast is not financial advice. <laughs> this is two traders just chatting about their own personal views. If you're going to put any money behind any of these ideas, do your own research. But we're just, we're just spitballing and having a laugh here, basically. Yeah, thank you for that. No, it's a good disclaimer. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, listen, I, I wanted to... I've really targeted about $25 is where I'd love to cover this thing. Okay. Uh, and I think even that is elevated. I mean, even at that level, it's still 16, 17 times sales. Yeah, I mean, pre-squeeze, it was a $10 stock, right? Not even. I think it was a two and a half, three dollars $3 stock. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. And then you had <laughs> wow. the initial, and that was your initial, to your point earlier, the January squeeze was truly a short squeeze because you had enormous yeah. open short interest. It wasn't until this gamma squeeze that happened back here, uh, you know, let's call it, you know, 60, 90 days ago, uh, which just the me mechanically are very different the way that works. So it's important to understand those, those nuanced differences. Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, 25, I like the fact that you said that because I've done an options trade <laughs> to reflect my own views on the stock. Yeah. Um, and and I, I do, I, you know, I totally agree with a lot of what you're saying and, you know, to the way I was saying, you know, I, I don't think it's an in-fashion meme stock anymore. I think it's one of those that's getting dragged up in sympathy with some of the new in-vogue names. And I take that as a good opportunity to sell into strength. So, so the trade that I did after watching you raving about your short and killing it on the first wave down and covering it and thinking, damn, I want some of the action. So I was waiting for an entry point. And as we squeezed last week, I, as I love to do, I like to look at the option space and see if there's an opportunity to trade options to reflect my bearishness and my bearish view. So generally, when, when these stocks rally, as you said, implied vol actually goes up when these stocks rally. And usually when they go down, the implied vol cools off a bit. So when we had a pretty big rally from about $33 back to $48, I think it was, in the matter of a day or two, the implied vol exploded right it really popped uh and, it, and i was going to show it on a chart here it went from about 130 135 uh this is for october expiring options and it popped all the way up to 168 165 168 something like that so a good 30 vol point pop which is not small right um so when that happens if you're trying to sell a stock you know the best the, the nice way to do that to get you know, a trade that will be have a good risk reward, will sell volatility, and will also sell the underlying stock and make money if it goes back down is what we call a put spread collar. And, and I the strikes you can see here, this shows you what the implied vol did. I've got a chart of the actual stock going back to June to show where it topped out in the last squeeze, topped out just, just above $70, right? So I picked $70 as the strike, the call strike that I was willing to sell. So I effectively, if the stock rallies again, I'm not actually short the stock until above 70. That's where I get short. Um, and if the stock goes down, I'm long a 40 strike put, I'm short of 25 strike put, which is your bottom, which is your target to cover your short. So basically 
I'm trying to make the $15 between 40 and 25. If that stock goes anywhere, 25 or below, I will end up making $15, which is the distance of that put spread. And that's by 15th of October expiry. Um, and then I will only be actually short the stock if it goes above 70. Doesn't look like the worst place in the world to get short this name, given that that's where it topped out. <clears throat> and it's like quite a fair, fair distance from where it trades right now. Um, and that entire structure only cost me a dollar and a half. So I spent a dollar and a half for the potential to be up $15, which is almost 10 to one payout. Um, and I feel pretty comfortable being short the stock at 70, basically, right? So uh, that's how I've played it. Let's see how, if that works. But um, yeah, well, that was kind of my, my kind of translation of your view into an options trade that I thought made sense. No, I, I love it. And I think it's helpful for the people that are watching and listening is that, you know, with regard to the option strategy that you're putting on, I mean, you're risking less to make more. And when I'm doing a straight up borrow short, you know, the advantage that I would have is just that I have a longer X axis, right? I mean, you've got October 15, your trade needs to materialize in that framework, but you're risking less. I'm risking more, but I've extended the long X axis, right? So mm -hmm. when people think about option strategies versus, you know, just a straight up equity borrow short strategy, if you're going to get short a name, just important to keep that in mind because uh, both are viable. Both are certainly viable. It's just uh, yeah, I think they're both good trades. I mean, there's no harm in having a bit of both on, to be honest. I mean, it's if, true. If, the true. Stock, if the stock goes to seventy, I might be tempted to just short some of it as well. So we'll see. No, no. See, that's the funny thing because like that's why I love talking to you because I mean, my options activity is largely just risk mitigation, right? I use them. I buy thirty delta puts on my core positions. You know, I try to roll those and just keep that insurance as as uh, you know, kind of a backstop. Um, whereas you're putting on multi-leg strategies that I find fascinating. And I just, you know, it, it's, it's something I'd love to augment with Steelyard and maybe, maybe I'll find a way to bring somebody like you or somebody on at some point, put you guys on a desk and we can make some money together. Maybe some of my students who are in the U S can tap you up once they would love that. Yeah. All right. So before you go, um, cause I've taken up enough of your time. Um, any other good shorting candidates outside of AMC? Because um, the sort of things that spring to mind are like Tesla, maybe Robin Hood, things like that. What are your thoughts? Well, you nailed Tesla. And, and Tesla, we've been short. Now, we covered it. Um, and I'm really looking to get back uh, sized up on the short on Tesla. I think anything anything 750 below uh, or around that, let's call it 740, 750 range, I think is a, is a nice short. And again, not thinking about it in terms of, hey, we're going to make a lot of money shorting Tesla. It's really more of a broader market uh, hedge in that, as, as we just talked about with AMC, I mean, you're talking about a pretty exorbitant valuation. And this thing has behaved in such a way that when the broader market does sell off, I mean, Tesla does get disproportionately punished. So you're getting the same convexity on the downside of a Tesla short as you would long VIX on a front month contract. Right. The other that I would mention is American Airlines. We've had a lot of success uh, shorting American Airlines. It's weakest of breed in the basket of airline stocks, obviously. And that kind of specifically addresses the Delta variant component. Um, and to some extent, the erosion of business travel and things like that. So, when so you say what, what makes it weakest of breed? Oh, weakest of certainly from its balance sheet. I mean, these guys are laden with debt relative to the Deltas and the, the LUVs Southwest. 
So uh, that one has been kind of a vulnerable name. The other one that we had a ton of success with was Peloton. Now, we've, we've covered it, um, but Peloton could easily pop back up. If you see it pop back to around 125, I think it'd be an interesting yeah, story. Yeah. I was looking so, at that. I was looking at that it because it's got such hard comps, basically, I guess, right? It took oh, yeah. so much market. It, it got such an influx of business last year when we were all locked at home. How's it gonna how's it gonna beat those comps, right? It's not. Yeah, and, and what you've seen also is that they've had price pressure on their hardware. So there's been margin compression. They've yeah. got a ton of uh, knockoff brands trying to create more pressure on price, you know, the echelons of the world and and then there's sold cycles and all these other comps. Uh yeah, it's what, a what about Robin Hood? Do do we like shorting Robin Hood or is it a bit early to say? It's a bit early. You know what? I I I kind of hard and fast by this rule. I don't really touch anything until I've seen a quarter of business. And it's a recent IPO, as you know. So I generally give it uh, the opportunity to find a cadence, get some price discovery. I generally won't touch it. I was actually very tempted to short Coinbase. You'll love this one. I was tempted to short Coinbase. I didn't do it. Of course, it would have worked out well, but yeah. um, I, I had to stick hard and fast to my rule. I'd want to see at least a quarter of business before I touch it. It's funny you say that. I actually bought some Coinbase the other day for a long term for my long term yeah. position because I just think they they've got access to you know whereas there's a lot of miners that have been used as proxy for Bitcoin whereas mm -hmm. Riot, Mara, MicroStrategy is a bit not a miner but is effectively a a treasury that holds Bitcoin so it's a Bitcoin proxy right there yeah. there haven't been many stocks that, that are as exposed to say DeFi or Ethereum or anything like that whereas Coinbase have actually outright come and said they're going to invest a chunk of their balance sheet into a bunch of cryptos across the spectrum. Right. So it, I think that will probably help support the stock, especially if you're a bullying crypto, which you know I kind of yeah, am. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah. Well, but what's interesting to watch in their business is, you know, how do they protect the fees that they collect to trade the, the, the underlying? And, and so that's what I'm always interested in when I think about Coinbase, you know, that is the bulk of their revenue. Can they protect that versus the Robin Hoods or, or the yeah. or whomever? I agree. The fees have to trend lower over time. It's just that you could argue we're still quite early in the adoption cycle. And because they're a leader there and, you know, they're doing things to expand their offering, right? They've got their Coinbase Pro offering. They've got, they've swallowed up a company called skew.com, which was a vol analytics provider within the crypto space. Actually, mm -hmm. I know the founder and, you know, they've swallowed them up. Um, so they're trying to really make their offering more sophisticated, cater to an institutional client base, do all the right things, be involved in the, um, the options landscape and, the, and that ecosystem that's going to clearly build out. Derivatives are going to build out more and more in crypto, right? So I think they're doing a few of the right things which might buy them a quarter or two in terms of getting some price performance before it all starts to fall apart because the competition comes in and, and fees just like start rolling off a cliff, which I anticipate probably will happen at some point. Yeah, I think that could happen. Um, it, but it's funny that you mentioned the, the Marathon, it used to be called Marathon Patent Group. Now they call themselves Marathon Digital, yeah. uh, Riot Blockchain. I, I, I traded a lot of these in 2017 as proxies to Bitcoin. And I'll share a very brief cautionary tale uh, which has helped me with regard to the psychology behind shorting, for example, AMC, like we're talking about today. I was long a name called DPW. At that time, it was called Digital Power. Uh, now they're called 
alt global holdings or something they've gone through multiple reverse splits i mean this has been a total total bloodbath but right. this thing was uh was 100 percent uh you know, basically trading in tandem with Bitcoin on that big time rip into 2017 when it basically got to that initial high of 20,000. If you remember that December, I'm sure you do. Yeah. Um, and going through that whole emotional roller coaster of that, and then on the way down and kind of just, again, analyzing your own psychology and the way that you think about your interaction with these names, those kinds of things are, are education in themselves. You get yourself, you get yourself a PhD, or like Dr. Phil going through some of these trades, man. And so I, yeah, I remember these proxies and it's, it, you know, they can be helpful. Uh, it can be an expensive lesson, but a useful one. But, you know, the great thing is there's options markets in all of these as well, right? Not just, right. not just options markets in Bitcoin and Ethereum, but there's options markets in all these single stocks that are proxies, right? So I've got guys, clients of mine, people in my, in my community um, who are US based, who can't actually trade on Deribit and trade options on crypto, they uh, trade MicroStrategy as their crypto or their Bitcoin proxy. And when they want to trade options on it and put hedges or they do call overwriting and things like that, they do it on the MicroStrategy stock, right? So it's, uh, it's very transferable, right? Yeah. So. Well, and then I think you're still going to see, to your point, there's an adoption phase, uh, you know, with regard, I mean, there's obviously funds out there that are putting on a lot of exposure into the crypto space. There's, you know, the, there's ETFs, I think, just around the corner, so, so that's going to be a fascinating space to watch evolve. And now you've got offshoots of it with regard to like NFTs and metaverse and, and all kinds of ways. Yeah, I'm still, still wrapping my head around all that. I mean, me too. Uh, I mean, all these digital assets, I, I'm, I'm struggling to understand it too, but I'm, I'm trying to just be a student of it and not pass judgment. Like we talked about earlier, important to keep an open mind no matter what. I just think we all have to create our own NFTs just to see what the hell that was going on, right? To see what they are. What makes them valuable? I, I have no idea what makes it. I mean, to be fair, I I'm, I struggle to know what makes a piece of artwork valuable, right? But a digital piece of artwork that I can just screenshot and see as it on my on my screen. I mean, I don't know how I can put a whole lot of value on that, but people seem to be doing it. So I want to learn more about it, and and you know, I think that's what we all do, right? Anyone anyone that I know these days who's still trading. They're still learning. It's all about learning. The market schools you regularly. It's all about continuing your learning um, journey. Um, and that's what trading is kind of helping me do, right? Just continue Absolutely. learning. Yeah, and, you know, trade what you know. I mean, that, that's why I stay in my lane. You know, I know what I know and I, and I do it fairly well. And so that's kind of where I find a comfort zone. And it's, 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 I think it's important to, like I said earlier, keep an open mind and, and start to explore some of these other areas. But, you know, you, you can dip your toe in those waters. You don't have to dive headlong. Stick with what you know uh, and, and know it as, 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 as in and out as you can. And I think that's where you can find some footing and get some confidence. Well, mate, with that, I'm going to let you go. And uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for helping me, helping me get this podcast off the ground. Uh, yeah, anytime, brother. Always happy to join. It's always good to yeah. see you, man. Yeah, man. We'll talk soon. Take yeah, care. Yeah. All right. Take care, brother. All Bye. Right. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. To learn more about Options Insight and our trading community, please visit us at www.options-insight.com. Or you can subscribe to our YouTube channel and also follow us on Twitter at options underscore insight. Until next time, thanks.